This is a conversation with Cedar Barstow. Hi, Cedar. Hi. So you're a Hakomi therapist and trainer. Yes, I am. And uh, you have a particular interest in uh, ethics. I do. I have a huge interest in ethics. And it surprises me. When I was a kid, if somebody said you would become interested in ethics at a later date, I would have said, you've got to be kidding. Yeah. So, but here I am. So maybe, um, how did it come about? Well, at about uh, 20, 20 years ago, I was... Um, the executive director, administrative director of the Hakomi Institute, and we got clear that we needed to write an ethics, an ethics code, and more than that, that it was important that we create part of our curriculum that had to do with ethics. Mm-hmm. And one of the backgrounds for this is, I think in psychotherapy in general about 20, 25 years ago, we were busy trying to um, correct an overdeveloped idea of what the power differential was. And in those days, it was psychiatrist-patient. Psychiatrist knew all, patient knew nothing. Mm-hmm. And so the power differential relationship was a very a very top-down one. Yeah. And that creates a particular kinds of um, misuses of power Mm -hmm. by not considering how important the the client's information is and how important the relationship is. So we're trying to write that and make everybody equal. Yeah. And that turned out to cause problems too because... Although we're all equal in our um, in our our being and in our deserving of respect and being treated with dignity, there are definite differences that uh, create some dynamics when when the roles are different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um in other words, um, it's not an all-or-nothing thing. It's not, some, you know, that there's something that's overlooked by saying everybody's equal. You have to pay attention to what the roles are of the client and the therapist in order to create something that's uh, more appropriate to deal with power. Exactly. And so in our process 25 years ago of trying to make everybody be equal... We kind of made the the idea of having power um, a, a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Like if you had power, it looked like you had power over other people, which meant you were going to manipulate them and force them and uh, mistreat them and take advantage of them and so on and so forth. So a lot of people decided, hey, I just won't have any power. Mm-hmm. I'm included. Personally, when I was a kid, I was very shy, and I saw how people abused and mis- misused power, the people in authority, teachers, 
ministers, um, doctors, and and so I just thought to myself, hey, I can solve this by just not being powerful, yeah, not having any power at all, and then I won't cause any harm. And it turns out that I'm not the only one who did that, and that a lot of people who who are particularly in the helping professions want to heal people from uh, wounds that have been caused by misuse of power of various sorts. Mm-hmm. And so lots of us decided, well, the best way is to just not not have any power. Yeah. And uh, silly me, I thought, well, if I become a psychotherapist, that's not a power position. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Much to my surprise, it very much is. And it's a very subtle and engaged and involved one. So. So, you know, I do, I'm going to say how much I appreciate the way you're uh, positioning it because uh, just following it from a logical point of view, um, you know, obviously it makes no sense to, to have abdicated power or to make a, a strength of it. But emotionally, um, it feels very poignant that part of um, you know wanting to take the power to heal people and at the same time wanting to shy away from power and I can see how we're not just talking about ethics but we're talking about healing a wound oh yes indeed yes 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 it is it is poignant and it, and one of the things in my course based on my book right use of power um that's most uh, interesting to people who are in the helping professions is understanding that there are two kinds of misuse of power. One is overusing it, that's the one we know most about, and the other is underusing it. Mm-hmm. And they see various ways that they've been underusing their power. Now, fascinatingly, the... The definition, the actual definition for power is the ability to have an effect or to have influence. Mm-hmm. Well, when you look at it that way, we all need power. Yeah. In order to, to have, have relationships that have uh, value and meaning and in order to bring our life purpose forward. So it's something we want and need to have, but we also, um, I, I think of learning about right use of power as being a lifelong engagement in studying how you affect other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Making sure that your intention matches your impact. And so often it doesn't. And so the more we can get those two together, the more effective and skillful we'll be. Yeah, and so it's interesting because the starting point is not so much power per se, but is observing uh, how you affect other people, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's a very nice, a very nice way to uh, uh, to actually shift from power as an abstraction to to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of course. Right use of power is totally about being in right relationship. Mm-hmm. And for people in the helping professions, there are really two kinds of power 
There's our personal power and there's our positional power or our role power. Mm-hmm. And these, these are, are linked but different. So our personal power is non-mutable. It's our birthright ability and need to have an effect, to have influence. Mm-hmm. And so that in our lives we lose, we find again, we refine, we develop, we claim, we, we get disempowered and empowered, and it's a whole process of being in relate, developing relationship with our personal power. And that's always going on, even when we have, in addition to that, a positional power or a role power, mm-hmm. like body-centered psychotherapist. And so those two, and, and the role power is, on the other hand, very mutable. It comes with the position. And people often get into trouble when they mix up the two of those together. And they get their positional power, uh, mixed up with our, with their, their personal power. Yeah. So for a little example, this is not in the world of psychotherapy, but it's a, <laughs> it's a pretty potent example. I have a friend whose husband is a airline pilot. And so he, she would be at home with the kids for three or four days at a time totally taking charge of the whole scene, and then he would come home after four days of of being an airline pilot, which is quite a quite a big positional power position. Mm-hmm. And he would walk in the door and he'd suddenly start ordering people around and mm-hmm. taking charge and uh, continuing to be an airline pilot. And it was very disturbing to their relationship. So finally they worked out a very simple but actually quite effective plan and he would come home, he'd walk in, he'd say, hi honey, I'm home, and he'd take off his airline pilot cap, hang it on a hook and say, here I am and I'm no longer an airline pilot, I'm dad and husband. Yeah, that sounds very nice. And it it worked. It really helped. So that often happens with people who are psychotherapists. We take take our our clients uh, home with us. Their distress, um, their concerns, rather than leaving them in the office, or we we bring our personal life into the office. So, many ways that that those two can get confused. Yeah. So yeah. So what what um, what can we do to uh, to be more aware of the situational power, or uh, to use the personal power yeah. in an appropriate way? Yeah. Good. Well, there are lots of things we can do. In my course, one of the the classic exercise I use is to have people divide up into pairs and then one person in the pair takes on the, the role of being a client 
and the other person gets into the role of being psychotherapist. Mm -hmm. So in that process, they become mindful and watch what happens in their body, in their thoughts, in their feelings when they are in whatever role they're in. And they they discover some pretty amazing things, like physio, um, in their bodies, the person in the power-up power role generally sits up a little bit taller, looks a little straighter ahead, um, breathes with a little more calmness, um, has a sense of their their personal life being not in their lap but behind them, mm-hmm. whereas the person in the, I call it down power role, has a, a, a much more vulnerable feeling um, and relaxed in a different kind of way They because they know that, that this process is just going to be about being in service to them. But they also have a little bit of, um, like, sometimes trust issues coming up. Like, how do I know that I can trust this person? And that mean, means they might be a little more guarded, or they might be a little too forthcoming and too trusting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they, they notice that they can be more inter, more easily influenced. Uh, they notice sometimes a, a greater tendency to idealize the psychotherapist. Um, Sometimes they're coming in and they're coming from the old paradigm of I know nothing and this psychotherapist knows everything. So everything that they say will be absolutely right and useful. So as you're talking, you know, what um, I want to share with you is I really appreciated that description you gave of the the physical sense that the two parts have. So I'm hearing you with a visual in my mind of almost uh, two different shapes or textures where the um, I visualize the therapist as uh, something like a strong cylinder, uh, you know, not rigid but solid, and um, the uh, client is something that is uh, more in flux inside and either soft and permeable or uh, with a rigid outer casing to protect that soft and permeable space. Um, And so it's a, it's a very, um, it feels very physical. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's one of the things that people notice out of this exercise. But interestingly enough, from this, coming from this exercise, and each person has a chance to be in both roles, it becomes clear that actually one of your responsibilities and jobs in your power differential role is to, is to, uh, help empower your client to use that role more powerfully. And more mm-hmm. effectively, and and with bet, uh, to their own benefit even more, and so some of that involves teaching, like t- 
teaching your client that actually their inner awareness, their sense of their own body, their sense of what's happening is really useful and important to the effectiveness of the psychotherapeutic relationship. Mm -hmm. This may be a different way that your client is learning about how to be in relationship with somebody who's in a position of authority. Mm -hmm. And so part of your job is to empower your clients to be use their role even more skillfully. Yeah. And that's something that often psychotherapists don't think about. Um, and also to be aware and sensitive as a psychotherapist that the people, their clients who are at most risk of being harmed by misuses of power are clients who are not very relationally skilled, who are in a great deal of suffering, who um, are not very functional in the world. Those kinds of people are much more at risk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, that vulnerability and that makes the differential of power, you know, that much bigger. That's right, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, does that seem like enough about the power differential? Yeah, it, it feels like you have a, you have painted a very vivid picture of, um, of what can happen. So maybe if you would want to share some examples of how you can deal with that. Well, actually, if you don't mind, I'd like to come back to that a little bit later. Yeah. I would like to talk about how the, the ethics program that I developed for the Hakomi Institute. Okay. And because I, I went about looking up and remembering my own ethics training, and most of it, at least I think it's a lot better now, but 20, 25 years ago, most of the ethics training was kind of memorizing a list of things to do or not to do or else, uh, getting, a, getting a little scared and paranoid about making a mistake um, and getting a few role-play extreme examples of situations that you almost never encounter in, in real life. Mm-hmm. So... I wanted an ethics program that would be much more personally engaging, much more related to being in right relationship, and that included the fact that all of us, no matter how good our intentions, are going to make mistakes. All of us are going to have impact that doesn't necessarily match our intention and have projections on us have cross-cultural uh, communication that's that's complex. So rather than imagining and trying so hard to never make a mistake, never have a client who ever experiences any harm, the more important thing is to be able to track the relationship and be able to notice and feel when something is off so that you can address it right away and it doesn't escalate into a grievance process or a lawsuit. Mm. 
Mm. So that feels very, very beautiful and very healing just uh, simply in its intention uh, that um, shifting from that, in a way, intense, rigid, panicky uh, preoccupation with avoiding mistakes um, to actually understanding that they're going to be part of the process and that uh, the focus is on tracking the relationship and in, in the presence. Yes. And, in fact, there that's where body-centered psychotherapists have a great advantage because body-centered therapists are so well-trained to track what's going on in the person, in their client's body, and see how it matches with their words or what's happening with their feelings and how their feelings show up in their body and using mindfulness and um, paying special attention to the quality of the relationship. And this is the best training that I know of to um, help being help people be able to use difficulties when they inevitably coming come up to to deepen and clarify the relationship. Yeah, yeah. So in a way, I know it's not literally what you said, but I can go a little further and make the case that um, to somebody who is a psychotherapist, you know, mainstream psychotherapist, uh, a case could be made that it makes sense to be trained in uh, a modality of body-centered psychotherapy in order to uh, increase the tracking skills that are actually going to help them improve their ability to um, have a framework for dealing with misattunement and uh, uh, wrong use of power and, and find corrective action. Exactly. Yes. So that that piece was going to be a really important important part of the Hakomi Ethics Program. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted it to be something that wasn't, oh, learn these seven things and then you'll, you'll be a, a good ethical therapist. Uh, I didn't want it to be... I wanted to be something that was... Um, a, a constant and lifelong engagement that was really interesting and not just a matter of memorizing things, memorizing rules and following them. So I looked at four different aspects of what, of the right use of power and identified them and related them to each of the four directions because um, I kind of like that model. So I'd like to describe a little bit each of those four. Would that be okay? Yeah, yeah, great. So the first one, and, and I put this in the East, is about being informed. And the task here is to be open to receiving and using relevant, current, and important information from within and without and to hold ownership of and responsibility for one's personal and role power. Mm-hmm. And in that one, there's a polarity that you want to manage inside, and that's between getting too much information and being overwhelmed and too little information and, and being 
uh, in denial or ignorance. Yeah, yeah, so very much we're talking about information, but it's not something where it's a passive role vis-a-vis information. It's a very active role of looking for the right amount of information. That's right. And also looking at it from through the lens of the, your professional code and guideline and looking at it from your own inside sense and from the information you're getting from your client. Mm-hmm. And there's an interesting principle here. I call it the 150% principle. And that means that although both client and therapist are 100% responsible for the health and truth of their relationship, but the person in the power-up role, the therapist, is actually 150% responsible. Mm. And that means that it's part of the role of the psychotherapist to to track and attend to any difficulties in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that particular principle really helps things out a lot because often um, difficulties escalate because the therapist is saying, oh, I didn't say that, and the client is saying, oh, you did say that, and I didn't mean that. Well, that's the way I took it, and it get it just escalates bigger and bigger and bigger. And if the therapist was remembering that they're 150% responsible, they would be more able to say, oh, you took that to mean something different than I intended. Tell me about that. Mm-hmm. And so 150% principle. Yeah. Yeah. Then the second aspect is to be aware and to be compassionate. And the task here is to explore and learn one's, from one's history, habits and beliefs about power and authority, and to stay in one's heart with compassion and concern for the well-being of all. And the polarity here is between over-focus on yourself, resulting in self-absorption, compared to under-focus on self, meaning unconsciousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So again, in that moment of um, uh, paying attention, being on that ridge line between um, self-absorbed or unaware, uh, there is that mindfulness of the therapist of um, navigating that zone. That's right, and that's a big, huge zone. And also in this territory, a lot of people feel like they have to choose between power and heart. Either they're going to be compassionate or they're going to be strong. And actually, we don't have to choose, and in fact, it's much better use of power to... Be in your power and in your heart at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I have a number of exercises where people practice connecting and linking those two up. Yeah. It sounds very obvious, but in the realm of psychotherapy, it ends up being not as obvious as 
as we thought. No, it's not. I mean, it, uh, it's uh, it's it's uh, it's a very uh, it's very much. Um, um, it feels like a big thing to to remember that being in your heart and your power is not something that's mutually contradictory. Yeah. Yeah. Own your power. Have heart. Stand in your power. Stay in your heart. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then in the West uh, is the aspect of be connected. And the task here is to stay in right relationship, even in conflict, taking responsibility for one's impacts, even if unintentional, and repairing and self-correcting to prevent further or future harm. And here's where we prevent, reduce, and repair harm as right use of power. Mm. And the polarity here is between being over-responsible and under-responsible. So that's between taking everything as your fault and taking nothing as your fault. Yeah, yeah. And and again, uh, I'm noticing a sense of it's not it's something that is not an abstract quality, because it's uh, it's uh, it's about you as the therapist, but it's also you in connection to your client, and it's you in connection to your baggage. Um, so it is very relational. Absolutely, and you know you often hear um, people saying, "Don't take it personally." Well, actually, we when we're getting feedback from clients, we need to take a little <laughs> bit personally because almost always in my experience when my clients have a some feedback they want to give me that might be hard for me to hear, uh, like you're you're always getting you're always too close to me. You know, I <laughs> which I did hear once even though I was sitting 3 feet away. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was a d- dynamic that we began working with in in the, the process. But if I had not taken that personally, I might have gotten defensive, or I might have said, "Oh no, I'm not. This is the normal place distance that I said it's your problem." But if I take a little bit of that personally, that's useful to me. And so, I don't want to take all of it personally but I don't want to take any of it personally. So um, that's a useful idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Is that, is that particular aspect clear now? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So then the last aspect that I place in the north is about being skillful. And the task here is to develop the wisdom to know what is right, how to think and act proactively, when to persist and when to let go, how to use feedback, and how to take good care of oneself. And here's where we use power to promote well-being and serve the common good. That's the highest form of right use of power. Yeah. And it takes enormous skill to use power really well in this sense. 
And one of the polarities, there are a number of them here, but one of them is knowing when to persist and when to let go, which is a fascinating polarity to work with. Mm -hmm. When do I hang on to this situation and when is it wisest and most skillful to just let it go? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so uh, again, interesting of uh, seeing of how that is something that is not just um, a decision that comes uh, from rote learning, but something that is uh, the result of experience and experience uh, engaged, mindful experience. Absolutely. So I'm struck, you know, as I'm, we're coming to the end of this, uh, conversation, my own, and I'm, my own, um, conclusion away from this is what I'm struck by is how, um, it's not, in a way, my understanding of the word ethics, which would be more of, say, learning some rules, but, uh, you have outlined a path of, um, uh, Increased wisdom through experience of uh, uh, relational qualities of what makes a good therapist. I mean, it seems like something that's uh, much more uh, vast. And I'm struck also by the, the beauty of the term, the right use of power, as a path of how to be a good therapist with integrity. Yes. Yes, you listen very well. <laughs> that's exactly what I was hoping to to communicate. Yeah. No, that was very, very powerfully uh, communicated. Yeah. Thanks, Cedar. This recording is part of the podcast at relationalimplicit.com. Not, in a way, my understanding of the word ethics, which would be more of, say, learning some rules, but uh, you have outlined a path of... Um, uh, increased wisdom through experience of uh, uh, relational qualities of what makes a good therapist. I mean, it seems like something that's uh, much more uh, vast, and I'm struck also by the, the beauty of the term, the right use of power, as a path of how to be a good therapist with integrity. Yes, yes, you listen very well. <laughs> That's exactly what I was hoping to to communicate. Yeah, no, that was very, very powerfully uh, communicated. Yeah. Thanks, Cedar. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website, relationalimplicit.com.